What's one thing that anyone can give to God? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. It's true that everything we have comes from the Father, so we can offer Him nothing that isn't already His. But He does give us the use of talents and treasures and time. It's that last gift, time, that Jim would like to talk about in his sermon, The Value of an Hour. It's a gift that even a widow with no mites could give, and it's a sacrifice in the sense that we can never replace that hour once given. Let's listen. Matthew chapter 26, and if you'll follow along as I read, this is from the New King James Translation. Matthew tells us, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to Peter, Surely I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Those familiar with Scripture will recognize that those words describe the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane just moments before he was arrested 
went through a series of trials, and the next morning was nailed to the cross. We live in a world of managed moments. Our television screens are managed to the microsecond. The radio broadcasts are managed down to nanoseconds. Many of the great, the great programs of communication work on even tighter schedules. All the technology that we had thought would deliver us from the boredom and monotony of hard work and frustrated and stress-filled lives instead have picked up the pace and forced their energies upon us. We go faster, harder. In our mad pursuit, 24-7, trying to squeeze all that we can out of life. The automobile and then the airplane and now the internet make it possible for us to be in close communication and at the same time live away from the heart and hub of the activity and the stress. Travel time, cell phones, on and on and on the list goes. This madness that we have called civilization. The value of an hour. 60 minutes. Think back what you have done in the last 168 hours since we last visited. Honestly, are you pleased? Most of us aren't. Most of us are thinking how we can manage our lives to be more effective. In the passage before us this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ is seeking to impress upon his disciples the value of an hour. In the midst of his prayer, in the great agony of his soul, the disciples are sleeping. They are weary, stressed. And he asks them this piercing question, what could you not watch with me one hour. In historic perspective, each of us placing ourselves by imagination back in those circumstances, we'd like to think that we would not have made that mistake. We would like to think that we would have understood what Jesus said as eight times he warned them that he was approaching death, betrayal, crucifixion. We'd like to think that we would have been perceptive enough and not so preoccupied with our own emotions that we would have picked up on the crushing burden that was resting against his soul. As he prays out to God in great agony, pressed like an olive press, under the weight of what he called the cup, the cup that he was speaking of was not the cup of death. Martyrs have suffered death. The cup that he was talking about was the cup that contained all the wrath of the infinitely holy and righteous God against all the sins of all humanity, each man, woman, boy, and girl, from Adam 
till the last child has been procreated out there in future time. That great weight of condemnation and judgment that demanded to be paid for God to then be free to give pardon and forgiveness as an act of grace, a gift, the debt had to be paid. And as Jesus Christ anticipated that crushing weight, his soul in such agony that the scriptures tell us his, his sweat became, as it were, drops of blood. So intense was his agony. We'd like to think that we would have picked up on those clues and that we, unlike Peter and James and John and the rest, would have responded to Jesus' invitation, his expectation, when he said, watch with me. There are four suggestions that come to us from this passage. The first is the invitation to watchfulness. It's interesting that the invitation comes from the heart of Jesus, not from the observation of the disciples. He desires them to watch with him. I don't know what comes to your mind when the word watch is used. Some think of the instrument that tells the time. It says it's uh, four minutes till ten. Some think of standing watch or standing guard like a century, responsible to guard the outer perimeter from the possible encroachment of an enemy who would do harm. And, of course, that would require Total alertness. Watch. I don't know what that word means to you, but it certainly suggests that Jesus wanted his disciples on full alert. That there were issues, experiences, temptations coming like a storm. And they were not in a prepared state of mind. And so their failure was predictable. The call to watchfulness. You'll find this word many times in the epistles where the apostle tried to warn the Christians that you're living in difficult times, that your friends and neighbors are not Always your brothers and sisters, they are under the sway of other powers, that there is a demonic force in array against you, that the world and that the flesh from within are your deadly enemies, that you live in difficult and challenging circumstances. And therefore, watch, 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 be on the alert. Your soul, your reputation, your character, your eternal life is a state. The second thing we note as we move in closer is this is more than just a call for watchfulness. It's an invitation to intimacy. And perhaps this more than any other point this morning is the one that moves me to share with you. There is a, there's an aspect, there, there's something going on here that is incredibly, almost unbelievably important. 
Jesus is not just saying to the disciples, be on alert, be on guard. You're about to be overtaken with temptation. He is saying to them, I want, I want you to become an intimate partner in my experience. All the way back in the book of Genesis, we are told that immediately after man and woman sinned, they heard the voice of the Lord God calling to them in the midst of the garden. God seeking, God longing, God coming to have fellowship with this creature that he had created in his image after his likeness, that the great God Almighty not only created man and woman for his pleasure, but created them to share intimately with him, to become like him, to know him. The last words we have from the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of the Revelation speaks about how absolutely bad conditions were in the church at Laodicea. And what's the invitation to that church? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in unto him and sup with him. We will have a meal. God wants my intimate attention. The whole cup that Jesus was about to drink, the death that he would die, was the measure of God's love to which he would go in order to bring us into a relationship with him where we would enjoy intimate moments with our Creator. In our mechanistic age, so many times we talk about being saved. Are you saved? Are you born again? And the answer will be, oh, yeah, I did that when I was a kid. Or, oh, yeah, I prayed that prayer. Oh, yeah, I went to the Father Church. Yeah, well, Billy Graham was here. I went forward. And frankly, that's all you think about. That's all we have to offer. That we somehow have assurance through the grace of God that we're at the end of life going to make it to heaven. Now, friend, that's true. But God intended so much more. God yearns, God desires so much more. He doesn't want to just forgive us our sins and give us eternal life. He wants for us to know him. He wants to be known. What? Could you not watch with me? Could you not stand as companion with me? Could you not empathize with me with what I'm experiencing? Could you not stay awake at least? When John is describing the gift of eternal life in John chapter 17, verse 3, he takes from the lips of the praying Jesus this phrase, this is eternal life that they may know you, know you, know you, the only true God. To have intimate communication with God. 
communication that's not based upon my needs, my desires, my to-do list that I have for God, or my get-well list that I bring to God, but intimacy that's based upon my coming to God and saying, what's on your heart today, Father? What are you feeling in your soul today, Lord Jesus? What's your agenda for your work today, Holy Spirit? Now, those of us who are husbands will understand this because our wives often present this same dilemma to us. My wife will say, talk to me. And after almost 40 years, I'm beginning to understand that means, now correct me if I'm wrong, dear. <laughs> I think that means, Jim, I want to talk to you. I want you to talk to me. I want to feel intimate with you. Now, what do I do about that as American male? Well, first of all, I try to fix it, don't I? That's not what she wants. She doesn't want me to fix anything. Or I will try to divide my attention between the book in my lap and the TV and her conversation, and she usually loses out somewhere in there. Or I will sit and debate with her to show her that what she's saying really doesn't match the facts, and therefore she doesn't have any right to feel that way. You been there, Valerie? Is that true? Is that the way it works? That's the way it works in our house. And almost 40 years now, I've been learning that what she wants from me is my undivided empathy, concern, and support. That's what she wants. That's what God wants. He doesn't want our help, and he doesn't need us to solve anything, and he doesn't want us to advise him, and he doesn't want us to debate with him. What Jesus is saying here in the garden is, couldn't you give me one hour of alert, focused support? Just be here with me. It's incredible that this moment would pass and the disciples would miss what could have been the high water mark of their whole three and a half years of experience with Jesus to have been able to enter with him intimately into what he was going through and to gain some perspective of the value of that, it would have profoundly marked them for the rest of their lives. It would have caused them to know how great the price Paid for their salvation. Third thing that comes to mind as you look at this passage are the obvious hindrances to fellowship. Hindrances. There was the physical hindrances, you know, the late hour. They had had a full meal just a moment before that. 
There was the hindrances of confusion and debate. They were back and forth on each other's case, who would be greatest and who would fail and who would, who would not fail. And Peter's boasting about, though everybody else fails, you, I won't. You can count on me, Jesus. I'm with you till the, till the last dog dies. And, of course, that uh, didn't happen, did it? Jesus warned them in his appeal here. He, he, he warned them that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That we need support. We need help. We, we, we need to have God minister to us if we're going to achieve those high things of the Spirit that we desire. In just a moment, you're going to leave the church saying, this week I'm going to spend one hour with God in watching. And next week, most of us will come back and say, oh, no, I promised I would spend. Man, I meant to do that, and it just didn't get done. Why? Because the flesh is weak. Because a hundred thousand other things will hinder and interrupt and confuse and direct and misdirect your attention and your energies. That's the way it is here in our world. There are multiplied hindrances and distractions to keep us from one hour of watchfulness with God. So let me talk to you in closing about the power of that hour. Now, what Jesus was talking about here, and what I'm talking about, is not your normal prayer. Jesus wasn't asking them to come alongside of him and pray for him. He was not asking them to pray for anyone else. He was asking them to come and to pray with him. To take their personal agendas, lay them aside. To take their personal list of to-dos, lay that aside. To put everything out of the way and to just say, God, what's on your agenda? Help me in this hour to feel in my heart what you feel in your heart. Help me at the end of this hour to see the world like you see it. How strong is your drive to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, as Paul put it? Would it be worth an hour to ask God to rekindle that fire within you? Today and Monday, Jim is talking to us about the most stress-filled night of Jesus' life so we can learn from Christ the value of an hour. The entire message can be yours on CD for a gift of $7 or more. The series is Special Works Jesus Did. We're compiling an album of 13 CDs to send to you for an offering of $45 or more. More in a moment. We'd love to hear from you right now. Though it's winter in New Zealand, hello Kiwis, it's summer in this half of the world, and that's when things often slow down for ministries like Right Start. So if you can help us fill in that giving gap, please consider it. Even small gifts add up, thanks to everyone making this happen. And keep up those prayers, too. 
To give or to order CDs, you can call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Our little patch of the internet is rightstartradio.org. There you can listen to the entire sermons or the radio shows right on your computer. And we've made it easy and safe for you to contribute. So find all of those options and more at rightstartradio.org. Or mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. The disciples missed something precious that night in Gethsemane because their flesh and not their spirit was in charge. Have a safe and relaxing weekend. Then please join us again for the next Right Start. Thank you.